Hello, this is Coach Tim Campbell, and I'm your host for the Self-Made is a Myth, Make a Difference Together show, where we're talking with successful business owners to hear their stories of the journey to building their business. And because we know that achieving success in business is not something that we can do on our own, we recognize the folks that helped us to excel. And I'm excited today to have a fellow business owner from Indiana. My guest has been incredibly successful in life and business despite being chronically ill, and we'll have him explain that to us here in a minute. He's an avid reader, consuming one to two books a week, wow, and enjoys outdoor activities, and he's most proud of recently winning Franchise of the Year Award for cultivating diversity and inclusion in his company, and we will be sure to be asking him about that as well. It's my pleasure to welcome Todd to the show today. Hey, Todd, great to have you on. Thank you, Tim. Great to be here. All right, well, why don't we start with having you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit of your personal story. Where were you born? Where do you live? About your family and uh, some of your hobbies. Well, I actually am a transplant to Indiana. I was born in southeastern Wisconsin, outside of a little town called Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. It's about halfway between Milwaukee and Madison, if you are so inclined to try to find it on the map. When I was first born, my parents actually rented this old kind of rundown farmhouse south of Helenville, Wisconsin, for the first three, four years of my life. And then we eventually, around age four, moved to the house that they built on the Lower Hebron Road, about eight miles east of Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. So what really happened is I was born into a family of business owners and entrepreneurs. I didn't really realize that that was a situation until later, because it just seemed so natural. Everybody around me was some sort of a business owner, some sort of an entrepreneur. I just assumed that was the way of the world. <laughs> so you actually, you start to grow up and you start to meet people whose parents work in offices and, and do other things. And then you start to realize, oh, there's a whole different life out there. <laughs> right. In my case, my parents owned businesses hauling bulk milk. So I was born both into a trucking business and the milk industry. Hmm. The part of the milk industry they were in was getting the milk from the farms to the local dairy. So it'd be processed and turned into everything you see on the store shelves, ranging from butter to milk, to cream, to ice cream and so forth and so on. So our, our conversations around the dinner table or a combination of what the business needed and then joking about recent events. And by the way, how is it going at school? And it was just, it was a part of the fabric of life. Right. I never knew that a business day ended at five o'clock. It was just <laughs> something that you took care of throughout the day because it, there was always something that popped up and something that needed attention. Sure, yeah. <laughs> In my case, as I grew up and I realized I didn't have the stamina, I was always really fatigued. I couldn't keep up with my peers. I could never hit the ball as hard or throw it as far or run as fast as they did. I didn't, I never knew why for a very, very long time. Looking back, that really was the beginning and early indications of the problems that I live with today. So I gravitated toward the sciences, specifically chemistry 
and physics. I bumped into three other friends in grade school who also were nerdy and liked the sciences. We, none of us quite fit in with the mainstream crowd, but it did make us the four musketeers, which was pretty <laughs> cool. And I'm telling you, back in those days, in the late 60s and the 70s, if you went digging around in the books and dusted them off in the back corners of the library, those books told you how to make things like rocket fuel and gunpowder, which was pretty exciting. And, and we put all of that stuff to the test as young budding scientists. <laughs> You'll have all the fingers and all the toes. So it's really... When I went into Marquette University, I pursued physics. I had this idea it was a touch it and feel it science. I didn't realize it was pretty much a pure mathematical science. So I never stuck with it. Mm. If I had gone into engineering, I probably would have stuck with it. So after trying physics for part of the first freshman year, I became undecided with my major. Then I fell back on Spanish, which I had done throughout my high school years, and then ultimately switched to the business school and finished with a finance degree. And then that's how what really launched me into what I do today. Wonderful. So Todd, is there a funny story that your family likes to tell about you that you'd be willing to share with us today? Oh, sure. When we were young, uh, family trips were typically camping trips. Mm -hmm. If you, anywhere from three, four days to a week. Because one summer, we went up to northern Wisconsin, so McClintock County area, to a small campground up there. Piled everything into the back of our 1967 Chevy Impala, hooked up the trailer, filled that up, and off we went. I was somewhere in the eight to nine-ish area, which would have meant my brother was five to six. We drive the seven hours from our house up there, get there, and, the, and we can't find the campground. Oh. So dad, being the typical male, says, I know where it is. I can find it. We drive around, come back. We see the same oak tree. <laughs> he says he's sure he knows where to turn next time. So we do that three, four times. And by then, the whole family's protesting and just saying, would you stop and ask for directions? <laughs> we got directions. We found the campground pull in. So mom and dad start unpacking and setting up everything. I go down to the river to take a look at it. My brother comes up behind me, gives me a shove. I'm in the river. I am soaking wet, head to toe, shoes and all. We've been there 10 minutes. <laughs> Already we're changing clothes. Nice. This was a summer that was just unusually cold. Up in northern Wisconsin, it would freeze at night, but it would get warm enough to actually go swimming during the afternoon. The temperatures were just that varied, and it was just that cold of a summer. So we were in winter coats in the morning, and by 10 o'clock, we were shedding them, and by 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we were swimming. So I, <laughs> when I was swimming, I was catching the crayfish and collecting the clams and putting them in a little bucket, which I kept next to the tent. So every morning, I come out and I look in this bucket, and there's nothing in my bucket. I was sure mom and dad were dumping them out and putting them all back in the river when I went to bed at night. They swore they weren't doing that. <laughs> Finally, about the third or fourth night, and I'm pretty deep into not believing them at this point, <laughs> we hear a noise out there and we peek out the tent window. And sure enough, the raccoons are helping themselves 
to the meal we were providing <laughs> every night. They didn't even have to work for it. Yeah, it, was, it was very it nice was of all you. nice and neat and collected together in a little bucket. All they had to do was come get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, mom and dad were right. They weren't dumping it back into, into the river every night when I went to bed. We were feeding <laughs> that wildlife. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Todd, tell us how the business came about. At what point did you have the confidence that you could run your own business? Well, part of the confidence started with just growing up in a family that always ran businesses. Yeah. And then what added to that is probably the side of the finance world I ended up working in, which was more the operational accounting and finance for the hedge fund, the alternative investment world, private equity. Mm. It involved a lot of actually setting up and creating businesses and companies for our customers and clients. It involves creating operations for them along the way in 2002, when I joined Anchor Asset Management, they wanted to spin out the back office and create an operation support company for it. So guess who got nominated? Me being their chief financial officer slash chief operations officer. By the way, you go with the operational company. <laughs> so I did actually have one prior to that. But most recently, what got me into the franchise that I have is when my job ended on March 6th, 2020, I did what I always do. And I always take a multi-pronged approach at trying to figure out what my next opportunity in life is going to be. Mm -hmm. I look in the corporate world for corporate opportunities. I look in the broker world for things that are operating that can be purchased. And then I look and I say, well, okay, what could I maybe start? It wasn't long after March 6, 2020, that I actually stumbled across this cleaning authority office in Fishers, Indiana, that was available for sale. So as we were, as the country was plunging deep into COVID, I was starting the due diligence process, trying to decide if I wanted to buy this office. We did actually move forward. The numbers, the financials were just incredibly attractive. Who wouldn't want it? But coming out of the finance world, my wife's initial reaction was a cleaning business. You've got to be kidding. Why would you want a cleaning business? I want, but look at this. Why wouldn't you want this? <laughs> look at the information and the numbers. Yeah. <laughs> we went ahead and we did buy it. We were originally projected to close on a transaction in July, but it got delayed until September because of COVID. Everything just was bogged down, moved a little slower, but right. it got done. Yeah, awesome. Well, tell us a little bit more about the company, Todd. It was right around four and a half coming up and five years old when I purchased it. So my close date ended up finally being Monday, September 21st, 2020. The prior owner had built it up from scratch. Mm -hmm. He'd bought the territory and then he'd actually added some zip codes to it, which gave us uh, 14 zip codes that we operate in. For the cleaning authority, there is an older office on the northwest corner of Indianapolis, and then my office services the northeast corner of Indianapolis. They were 
We were doing about a million eight, a million nine in revenue, annual revenue at the time I bought it. Mm -hmm. They had 30 or so cleaners working there and a couple of managers. So I walked in and that's what I inherited when they handed the keys to me. Yeah. So what I said to my managers is I said, is it possible to double the size of this office? And I said, let's find out. <laughs> I didn't really know what was possible, but I, I kind of threw it out there as a goal. I didn't hang any time frames around it either. Mm -hmm. That's what we started off doing with this goal of can we double the size of this business? Yeah. As we got into 2021 and then we hit the spring season, things started to really take off. For the cleaning business around the Christmas, New Year's holiday, things tend to slow down slightly. A lot of people taking vacation, a lot of people traveling to see family and going, I don't need my house cleaned this week, come back next time. Yeah. And not a lot of people looking to sign up. They're thinking holidays. Right. But things really took off. In 2021, we grew 38%. Cumulatively, since I've taken over, we've grown just under 60%. That's awesome. I mean, our top line revenues now have us pegged at somewhere between 2.7 and $3 million annually. Nice. Awesome. I've grown the management team from two to five. So oh, I also, I went. Oh, I was going to say, went, tell us about that, uh, that award you got. Well, what happened is, I looked around and I realized that everybody working there was Latino, mm -hmm. which I learned when I asked them, what's the difference between Hispanic and Latino? They all said they prefer to be called Latino. Okay. They weren't so, they didn't quite feel comfortable being called Hispanic. They didn't give me a clear explanation. So I said, okay, fine. Thank you. I'm happy to call you Latino. Uh -huh. And they were primarily women. The work can be done by anybody. Mm -hmm. Culturally, and when you look at the gender differences and the society roles that they give to men and women, men tend to not want to do cleaning. Sure. But they can do it just as well, and they can do a good job and make good money at it if they want to. Mm -hmm. So I looked around, and there were four flags hanging on the wall in the conference room slash break room. And a couple of them happened to be near the sink and the coffee maker and were becoming stained. And I just said, we can't do this. We are disrespecting these people's countries and their cultures. Mm. That that is just, that's just unacceptable. So we took those flags down, we carefully laundered them. And then I, then I started saying, by the way, where are all these people really from? There's a tendency for us who are Caucasian to just assume they're all Mexican, and that's wrong. They're, they come from many different countries. Right. While they speak Spanish, they all have a slightly different vocabulary and different accent that you can start to pick up on over time. Mm. Found out we were way short on flags, so I started acquiring the flags that we needed. And we're up to people working there from 12 different countries. Oh, wow. Initially, I hung the flags on the wall up and down the main hallway while I searched for flag poles, flag bases, mounting equipment. I finally found the bases. 
the mounting equipment and the finials, those little fancy tops online, but I couldn't find flagpoles I wanted. I had a company on the south side of town manufacture flagpoles out of aluminum stock for me. So every flag is displayed on a seven foot pole. Oh, wow. We lined them up in the front office with the US flag. And there's now 14 flags there plus mine because I identify as German American. And then I went one step further and put a seven foot flagpole and a country flag by each manager's desk. Above it, I hung a banner and I had borrowed from what is the wording on the license plates in Quebec, which says, Je me souviens. It says, I remember when we visited Montreal, I started asking people, why do your license plates say that? What does it mean to you? Mm. And the answer that we consistently got back from them was, I remember my culture, my heritage, my history, and my language. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I borrowed from that, put it in Spanish, and had it worded so it translates as we remember our culture, our heritage, our history, and our language. Yeah. One day I was talking with corporate, and I, I offhandedly made the comment, yeah, our front entranceway looks like the United Nations. And the person stopped and said, oh, you've got to send me photographs. So I went and took a bunch of photographs of our entranceway and all the flags sent them to corporate, and they said, well, tell us a little bit about it. So I briefly told them about him. I told them about my managers. Mm. Erica, who's my general manager, is actually a DACA child and caught up in that mess. She has to fill out reams of paperwork every two years to stay in this country and legally work because mm. our government can't figure out what to do with these people. Miriam and her family officially received asylum because they're from Venezuela, and they literally walked away from everything they owned to come here. Wow. A year ago in February, threw a big party for her, didn't tell her I was doing it, had a gigantic eight-foot banner printed up with a birthday cake and, or, and cake and everything on it, and candles and congratulations to the family and bought cakes and just put them in the break room for when everyone came back. So it was Mirian walks by, the break room has windows, you can see from the hallway, and I had the lights turned off, so she's kind of looking, and I'm looking, and then she stops <laughs> and looks again, and everything's there, and congratulate her when the cleaners came back. So that night, she sent me a picture of that banner posted above their sofa at home, with the whole family sitting on the uh -huh. sofa. <laughs> That's cool. But what I didn't know was that corporate took it one step further and nominated me with the International Franchise Association to receive this award. And I had been selected. This is an organization that's global. There are more than 1,400 franchise companies that are members of this. This is wow. huge. Wow. So I get this, I'm reading email a few months back at about 5.30 on a Wednesday night. and chief operating officer from the authority brands was asking for a call the next morning at 8.45. Well, when somebody at the top of the organization in our world asks for a call at 8.45 in the morning, it's rarely good news. <laughs> so at this point, I'm going through this mental checklist and going, oh God, what did we do wrong? What did we screw up? What did we forget to do? I, I, I couldn't come up with anything. Yeah. 
<laughs> so then, then my mind switches to the other checklist. Like, okay, what happened that we did wrong? We broke. What did we break? What did we forget to do that my managers didn't tell me? Right. So I'm going down that checklist. <laughs> I had nothing. I came up with nothing. Thank God I didn't look at the call invitation. I noticed that there were actually four senior people from corporate on the call, or I would have panicked and hyperventilated all night long. <laughs> I only looked at it minutes before to figure out what the login information was. So I had about all of about five minutes to hyperventilate. <laughs> we get on the call. They use Microsoft Teams as their software of choice. And I'm, ex I'm going, here it comes, here it comes, here's the bad news. And they're congratulating me. And it, it takes my brain a while to just go, what? <laughs> what? You're congratulating me? I didn't do something wrong. We didn't break something. Right. <laughs> Wait a minute, back up, back up. Congratulating me for what? And they're like, oh, for diversity and inclusion and stuff like that. I'm going, but I didn't do anything. It just, it just it made no sense to me. I didn't do anything. Right. In my mind, all I did is what you're supposed to do. Treat your fellow human being with dignity and respect. Yeah. And I'm not even sure in my mind that I did a real good job of that. <laughs> in my mind, the job was just fair to middle in that best. Right. <laughs> and so I get off the call and... It, well, Erica is sitting right next to me because we share the front office and she runs down a hall to the other manager's office. They're down there cheering. My brain's still trying to process this. I got an award for something. <laughs> so then all of a sudden they're using this, this word chingon and I just stop and go, well, what does that mean? Well, it turns out if you in this Latino culture, if you apply that to a man, is complimentary, kind of in the badass sort of way. But if you apply that to a woman, it, it's it's not so complimentary. It means aggressive or assertive and, and with negative overtones. So you can see it's interesting the sexual and gender differences that still exist yeah. in the Latino world. <laughs> I, I wasn't trusting this. I wasn't believing it. So I sent an email and I said the same thing I just said to you that, well, I didn't do anything. Awards are for people who run into burning buildings to save children. They're for pilots who make sure everyone gets safely off of airplanes that crash in the Potomac River. They're for medics who dodge bullets to pull wounded soldiers off of the front line. It's for the first responders who ran into the Twin Towers as they were collapsing. Those people get awards, not me. <laughs> well, I didn't hear back from corporate till the end of the day. But I started checking with people in my life, like my therapist and my personal trainer, whose opinions I respected. And they all said, oh, yeah, that's award worthy. And corporate finally responded and said, it is award. Believe us, what you do really is special and is award worthy. So instead of having an aha moment, I had more of an uh-oh moment. <laughs> you know what that means? If just doing what you're supposed to do and treating people with dignity and respect is worth an award, that has to mean that we, as a world, as a society, we don't do enough of that. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's just, it's kind of bittersweet. And I'm happy to be acknowledged, but I'm saddened that we as a society yeah. don't do a better job of treating our neighbors well. 
Well, what I love about that is that you're setting an example for others to follow. And those who are listening to this now have a challenge to step up and, and do what, uh, what we just should be doing. So awesome, Todd. Thanks for sharing that. Um, tell me about a, um, so we know that business success doesn't happen in isolation. So tell us about one of the biggest challenges you've had um, in the last few years as a business owner and, and who's somebody that came alongside you to help you through that challenge. I've had help from so many people along the way. Even back when I owned my own administration company from 2002 to 2006. If it wasn't the accountants or the lawyers who were stepping up and helping us, it was other people in the financial world who were helping us. We started that out of nothing. But we really did build an airplane in the air. <laughs> because once they spun out the back office, Anchor Asset Management collapsed mm. because of they had mostly a foreign investor base and a foreign investor base got nervous with what was happening in the U.S. and wanted to take all their money and bring it home. So mm. Anchor collapsed and wasn't there to support us. 2004 was a magical year. Uh, 2005 was difficult. The storm clouds were forming on the horizon. But in the meantime, I'd engaged a Roberta Schwartz and she had a communications business and kind of a consulting practice. Mm -hmm. So she was helping advise me and she had actually suggested a guy named Robert who I hired to help stabilize operations, but mm -hmm. it didn't work that way. We were being marginalized. At the time, we didn't have the technology we needed and in those days, technology was just hugely, hugely expensive. Right. Everybody wanted online web delivery statements, portals. Today, that stuff was relatively cheap, but back then it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, my partner, John, ended up pushing me out in April of 2006 out of my own company. But when I sat down and calmed down and calmer head prevailed, I said, you know, the handwriting's already on the wall. The company is already failing because we can't keep up with what the competition can deliver. Mm. It has nothing to do with the quality of our work or our delivery or anything. It's just we couldn't run fast enough to keep up with the competition. Right. And then Roberta really did help me pick up the pieces in my life and move forward. Then most recently, again, when I was between opportunities, I encountered other business coaches. I encountered just people who are willing to share their time and talk with me daily, kind of guide me as I got into and finally decided to purchase the cleaning authority office. Yeah. From about March through third week of September, I really was lost. I didn't really know what life looked like or where it was going. Mm. And I was not accustomed to sitting on my hands. Yeah. Especially being locked down, COVID, you can't go anywhere, you can't talk to anybody. If you do, it's just for the barest of essentials. Put the mask on, run in, buy what you need, run out, go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because everybody was afraid of COVID and the government was making us sit home. Yeah. So that, that was just such a difficult time. But it weren't for a few of the local business consultants who are willing to literally donate their time. 
And in one case, I engaged a consultant for about $400 a month, which was supposed to buy me around three to four hours of his time every month. But when I was hitting a real low point, he offered to talk to me for 15, 20 minutes every single day. Oh. So at about 4.30 every day, we'd get on the call and he'd, he'd do what he could to boost my spirits and keep me moving forward. Yeah. Once I identified this opportunity, I had something to sink my teeth into and I could, I could see a future opening up. Yeah. So that's been true throughout my life that when a door closed, there was always a window of opportunity somewhere that opened up for me. Mm, that's great. There was always somebody who was guiding me to that window and helping. Yeah. Fantastic. So Todd, as you um, think about all the different learnings you've had over the years as, as a business owner, what's your biggest learning that, uh, that would help other people by you uh, sharing that with us? Oh, I would have to say that there really are a number of things. When you're a business owner, you just have to get used to herding cats. <laughs> and you're trying, whether it's your managers, your staff, your customers, you name it, you're, you're, you're herding cats and they all want to go scurrying off into their own, own direction. You're trying to generally get them moving in a roughly the same direction yeah. you just have to be happy if they all go roughly the same direction if, if you can't get comfortable with that and you can't go home at the end of the day and just say to yourself I did my best today I will try again tomorrow you will just if you can't do that you're just going to drive yourself crazy <laughs> but while you're busy hurting these cats you have to keep watching for and listening for patterns and trends and things that change with the people around you and things that change with the business and the customers because as soon as something changes, that's usually a sign or a signal that you need to look into it more thoroughly. And say, okay, what's going on? Is this a good thing or is this something that needs attention? Yeah. And so you end up really listening to the hum of the business. Mm. It's something that my father always said with the trucks. He said he could always tell how the trucks were running by the hum of the engine and the vibration of the floorboards. He didn't have to look down at the instrument panel to know if we, he was developing a problem. Wow. So it's, it's really getting out there and managing by walking around, managing by doing. You're peeking in the corners and looking in the closets and just saying, what's here, what's here, what's going on? Is uh -huh. everything the way it's supposed to be? Yeah. And it's, it's not, you never order anybody around. Yeah. That's what people don't get about management. You're not ordering anybody around. You really only have a limited amount of, of authority, if you can even call that. And it's all grounded in respect. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing all day long is asking people, would you please do this? Would you please take care of that? Do you think you could get it done by tomorrow? Or would you think you could get it done by Tuesday? You're always asking. Yeah. That's how you manage. You, if you're going to start pulling rank and ordering people around, you're going to find out they, they stop liking you. They stop respecting you. Your turnover goes up. Your business stops growing. And it's all because of your behavior. Mm. And then the more diverse your workforce, the, the 
more aware you have to be of the cultural differences. Right. And you have to be ever so careful to try not to offend anybody and to always phrase things in very polite terms. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even when you're correcting somebody, you're still being polite. It's just more of a, I ask you, please don't do that. Or please don't do it that way. Mm-hmm. Would you please change how you do it next time? That's what it really comes down to. I love that perspective of treating them as you you mentioned this earlier too, right? Just treating people like people and being respectful and and polite and you know getting the best out of others by treating them the way that you'd want to be treated yourself. You have to, because at the end of the day, you don't know everything there is to know. You can't possibly know everything there is to know there's just too much information out there there's not enough hours in the day to sit there and learn it all you have to rely on other people to be experts at what they do yeah yeah so speaking of learning you're you read uh one or two books a week one of my favorite authors jim Rohn, says we'll become the average of the five people we spend the most time with so um spending that much time reading you you must have a lot of uh you know thoughts and and uh, on this topic so when you think about that quote from jim does that is that something that's exciting something that makes you nervous how, how do you think about that from a business standpoint i say a little of both my life's in a fairly big transition at the moment. Uh, not only did we move down here in August of 2018, or I worked really incredibly long hours until my position ended in March. And then we went through the COVID lockdowns. So I'm still very much learning the area and meeting the people. So along, and my wife passed on July 18th of last year. So now I'm learning what it is like to be a a widower, a single father at this point, to run businesses. And I've had to let go of some relationships that weren't healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. I've discussed it with my therapist who's confirmed that she, her words, where those are appropriate boundaries. So, but at the same time, I'm replacing them with the relationships I developed with my managers that they become like family, relationships with the other owners of the cleaning authority offices of which there's a, more than 230 across the nation. I have relationships with my property managers in each of the cities where I do real estate. I've been developing relationships in my new church and working in to find people in new social groups, trying to build an array so that it's a well-rounded collection of people in my life. And that's not just lopsided with business and then I have I don't know anybody socially or it's all friends, but I don't know anybody at work. Yeah, I love that. That's a great, great perspective, great approach. And and uh, I appreciate, too, that you talking about your, your therapist, because I think, you know, we all can benefit from having somebody to talk to, right, and, and help us sort through the, all the, you know, the different conflicting thoughts that are in our head and, right, and, and, you know, be able to 
be able to make some sense of it all and and uh, make good decisions. So congratulations. I, I just love how you're investing in yourself, Todd. Well, and she's part of the team that helps me do what I do, just like the doctors who keep me healthy enough so I can function. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, these are the team that I are wrapped around me every day in my life and make it possible for me to do what I do. Love it. And is that my managers? I, I tell them every day, they really are the ones that make the magic happen at that office every day. Yeah. My job as an owner, I go in and I it's my job to ask never ending annoying questions. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. sometimes I think they go, oh, here's Todd again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <down and> busy. <laughs> go, go bother her. Yeah. <laughs> so Todd, you've been uh, been blessed with some incredible people uh, in your life who have helped you on your journey. If they were all on the show today, what would you want to say to them? Thank you. Thank you for being there. And that's what I said to them April 26th last year. Unfortunately, when I inherited the business, I also inherited a general manager who I found later found out was stealing from me oh. and falsifying the records. Oh. I did get help from corporate um, to pull all the system logs and the system files to confirm that before I took action. So I terminated him Monday morning, April 26th. I had warned Miriam and Erica what was going to happen ahead of time and confirmed with them that they would be able to step in and fill the void. Yeah. After I saw him out the door and collected his keys and everything, I went back to the conference room and the looks on their faces were just like shock as if a bomb had gone off in the room. So then I handed them the new paperwork and I said, I'm promoting you and I'm raising your pay $20,000 a year each. And I'm putting you on a territory growth plan that as you grow the business, you know what your raises will be. Wow. And I said, by the way, I need your help. <laughs> I'm chronically ill. Mm. I struggle to function throughout the day. I'm heavily medicated anytime you see me. That's what largely enables me to function as well as I do. I said, I need you to run my business and care about it the way an owner would. Mm -hmm. I said, my thank you to you will be that this will become your business. Oh. I need income for a while, but not forever. I said, you need time to prepare to take over owning and operating this business. I said, I think that for both of us lines up relatively well. And then from there, we, we took off and here we are today. Wow. We're actually <laughs> writing the legal documents that will transition the business to them over approximately an eight-year period. I'm a little at a time schooling them in what an owner does, yeah. what an owner thinks about and focuses on. That's, that's a level above what a manager does. Yeah. That's I said, so cool. I can't dump 200 things into your brain in 10 minutes and go, by the way, I'm on my way out the door. Good luck. And I said, <laughs> you're going to forget it all. You'd be lucky if you remember two of those things. Yeah. <laughs> but we've got time or it can 
hand it to you a piece at a time and make sure that it makes sense to you and you understand it. Yeah. And then we can hand you some more pieces and, and gradually everything will be in your hands and it will be yours. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> well, Todd, I, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Tim. I enjoyed it. Awesome. For those listening in, uh, thank you for tuning in to Self-Made is a Myth with your host, Coach Tim Campsell. Be sure to help us spread the movement by liking the show and posting about it on social media. To join our movement, go to bemadtogether.com. All right, folks, that's a wrap. Make sure to pay it forward, and I'll see you all next time. Take care. <laughs>